Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. the book of Ephesians this semester. What I would like to do is I'd like to give you a challenge. Uh, about 10 years ago, we did the book of Ephesians um, in a spring semester, and I gave this challenge, and the challenge was this. There are six chapters in the book of Ephesians, okay? Um, There's seven days in the week. So here's, here's the, uh, you guys know that, right? Uh, here, here's the challenge, that you would read a chapter a day for the next two months, just Monday, chapter one, all the way through. And then on Sunday, it's a Sabbath day, read the entirety of the book and then come back the next week and do the same thing. If you do that for two months, here's what I believe. I believe that this book will transform your life. This is the Ephesian challenge. You don't have to take it. I'm just putting it out there. If you're like, that's not for me. Okay. But I had, last time I gave this challenge, I had a young lady come up to me a couple years later and she talked to me about how when she took the Ephesians challenge, that it was a turning point in her walk with Jesus. So it could be a turning point and your walk with Jesus too. So I just put it out there. It is February 1st, and you may be wondering, what am I going to do February, March? Now you know, if you, if you so choose. So let's talk a little bit about the book of Ephesians. I'd like to kind of set the table for the series as we, as we kick it off. Um, the, the, the book of Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul to this church that he was very influential in, in the starting of this church in a town called Ephesus. And Ephesus was a major city in Asia, Asia Minor. Um, here's a little bit about Ephesus. Number one, it was a, a town of about 250,000 people, a cosmopolitan city in, in the area of Asia Minor. Number two, it was a place known for pagan religion and the occult. So there's a lot of dark things that happened in, in Ephesus. In fact, it was one of the things it's most known for is it was the home of a temple to Artemis, and, uh, it was, and the temple to, temple to Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the world. And so this was a place that people would come in from all over to check out this pagan temple to Artemis. Something else you may want to know about Ephesus is it was a very wealthy city. It was a place that was a commercial hub. It was a place for banking. It was a, a, a harbor city. In other words, a lot of wealthy people lived in Ephesus. And then finally... It was also a town that was steeped in sexual sin. And so what, what do you need to know about Ephesus? You need to know that it was a place that where uh, there was the occult and, and a lot of spiritual darkness that was um, a, a place of great wealth and materialism. So you have everything from paganism, materialism, and perversion that come together in this city called Ephesus. And here's the amazing thing. In the midst of that, Jesus's church was planted Okay, and so Paul spent three years there, planted the church, and, and mighty things happened. If you want to read about what happened, read Acts 19. It tells you what happened, that the city was deeply impacted, even though it was so hostile to the things of God. God did a great work there. Now, Paul is writing eight to ten years later, and he's writing this church, and he's reminding them of who they are in Christ, because here's the big question that, that he had for them, that he was encouraging them towards. Will they be more defined by the fact that they are in Ephesus or more defined by the fact that they are in Christ? I was talking to my wife tonight before I came and, I, and, and she was like, yeah, isn't that the question we all have to answer? I said, you're right. Will we be more defined by the fact that we're at UVA or in Charlottesville or will we be more defined by the fact that we are in Christ? 
One theologian said the whole book of Ephesians is really about identity formation of who are we as followers of Jesus. And so we're going to spend this semester forming our identity in Christ and what that means to be in Christ. Okay, so what we're going to do today is we're going to read the uh, verse in chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, and then we're going to talk about three things. Sound good? So open up your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, or follow along on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, but um, we're going to read verses 3 through 14. It says this. Oh, by the way, all we're getting ready to read is one sentence in the Greek. This is like Paul's opening to, to this book where it's like all of a sudden just worship of the great and mighty things that God has done just comes spewing out 202 words, one run-on sentence that would probably get marked up with red all over it if your English teacher were to grade it, right? Um, but is just full of the profound realities of what it means to be in Christ. So let's read this sentence. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and pleasure to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You're like, Paul, take a breath, right? That is a lot of heavy theological reality that we're going to talk about tonight. Well, it was 1992. <laughs> no, 91, sorry. 1991, my sophomore year in high school. Um, I grew up in a small town in Illinois. Uh, this small town was centered around what many small towns in, in rural America are centered around, and that is high school sports. I grew up playing sports year-round. My favorite sport was basketball, and it was my sophomore year, and I had always dreamed about running. Okay, here's what you need to know. I grew up in a town of about 8,000 people. My high school stadium, this is an estimate, holds about 5,000 people, Okay. So imagine that. Can you tell what the temple of our town was, right? We cared about high school sports. There's only really three ways to get into the paper that I, in the town I grew up in. It was called the Daily American. Either you like robbed Farm Fresh and got caught, 
you, you died and were in the obituary, or you were a high school athlete. So I thought, I'll go for the third one. You know what I'm saying? Like, so... Anyway, that's basically the way you got into the paper. And so I'm like, I dreamed of the day I would run out of the tunnel and the pet band would be playing our marching song, our theme song, and thousands of people in unison would be clapping. I'd have my warm-ups on and I was always short and I was 5'2", 99 pounds when I started high school. And so I'd run out my freshman year, run out, you know, act like I could touch the net, but I couldn't. And, you know, anyways... This was my dream. It was my sophomore year, and I found out this. They're not having a sophomore basketball team. If I'm going to play basketball, I have to make JV. Okay, I'm already young for my class. I'm the youngest person in my class, so I really should be a freshman. And I'm, you know, maybe slightly taller than 5'2 at this point. I have to now make junior varsity. Oh, man. So, all right, what are you going to do? You're going to go out for junior varsity. So I'll never forget tryouts. I go out for junior varsity, have a couple days of tryouts, and then tryouts are over. They post the schedule in the hallway. I'm not sorry, the schedule, the roster in the hallway. Have you ever had one of those moments where your heart starts to race because you know what you're getting ready to see like has a power over you in some way? Like maybe it was the email that said if you got accepted into UVA or not. Maybe it was like when you log on to see what your final grades were for the semester. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, ah. Okay, so I go up to the hallway where they posted the roster right outside the coach's office. And I walk up and I read the list. I'm not on it. It's over. Who am I? I mean, I have been an athlete all of my life. This is my dream. This, I mean, I never even, never even thought until I found out there wasn't a sophomore team that it wouldn't someday come true. And like that, it's over. Have you ever been there where you came to a point where you asked, who am I? What, what is my life really all about? What, what is my identity? When I say, what is my identity? By the way, what I'm going to share tonight is so central to the Christian life. It is something that I remind myself of over and over and over and over and over And so I hope I can just distill this really well tonight because I hope this will be as transformative for you as it is for me because it is so central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But having said that, what do I mean by identity? Let me give you a definition for identity. I would say your identity is this. It is the the core truth that you live out of. Your identity is the core truth that you live out of. It is where you, um, 
where you find your sense of value, your sense of acceptance, your sense of security, your sense of significance, or maybe even your sense of fulfillment. What is, what is it that is the core truth that you live out of that you that your sense of value and significance and security flow out of. And what Paul is going to say is that as followers of Jesus, there is a key that is the center of what it means, the center of your identity, the center of the core truth that we are to live out of. And the key is this, it is that you are in Christ. In fact, as I read the passage tonight over and over again, I tried to, to emphasize, it said in him, in Christ, it was eight times in, the, in that one sentence. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it is 36 times in six chapters because it is the key for us to follow Jesus is to understand who we are in Christ, for us to get our identity of who we are in Christ. So what does it mean that we are in Christ? Let me, let me simplify this. It means that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that when we place our faith in him, that we enter this union with Christ. And this union is, is, is a reality in our lives that, that so defines us that now what is true of Christ is true of us because of our union with him, okay? So when you are in Christ, what is true of Christ becomes true of you. And so what Paul does in this opening salvo of Ephesians that just erupts on the scene. It's like he opens up the, the, the luggage of what it means to be in Christ and things just start flying out, right? These powerful realities start flying out. I want to just briefly look through what does it mean to be in Christ? In fact, um, we have a picture just to, th- this is Blair. Can, if you can go ahead and put up Blair. Um, this is Blair in a bubble, okay? So what I want to talk about so we'll, we'll, we'll assume that the bubble is in Christ, okay? So, the bub, so she is in Christ. And what I want to talk about is like, what's inside the bubble? When you are in Christ, when you're in this vital union with Jesus, where, where this union that, that's so deep and so formative for your life defines you, what is inside of the bubble? Here's what we find out in verse four. I'm sorry, in verse three, that we, in Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual Blessing, And then he starts to enumerate these blessings. Number one is you are chosen in him, verse four. Jesus is the chosen one. And because of your union with Christ, you are now chosen. Then we see next to be holy and blameless in his sight. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is, is, is perfectly righteous. And so now because of your union with Christ, what's true of Christ is true of you and you are righteous in Christ. You are adopted into sonship through Jesus Christ. Because of your union with with Christ, you are now a child of God. And this speaks of God's loving affection towards you. It speaks of his acceptance. It speaks of your security. And then it says this, that you're adopted um, into sonship through Jesus Christ according to his pleasure and will. In other words, this, he loves adopting kids into his family. I'm an adoptive parent. I've adopted two kids. And let me tell you, the day that we adopted them into our family was a day of joy. I mean, we celebrated. We went out to Jason's Deli, which is now closed since the pandemic. But I mean, we, we were, it, was, it was a day of celebration. We took pictures. It, I didn't work the whole day. It was awesome, right? Because it was our pleasure. And, and, and the scriptures say that when you're adopted in, into his family, it is according to his pleasure. He takes pleasure in that. 
In the bubble, what else do we have in in the bubble? In Christ, the, the picture. Okay, got it. That we are freely given grace in the one he loves. In other words, when you are in Christ, your life is now defined by grace. You don't earn something, you receive something by the grace of God. Next, you have redemption in him, the forgiveness of sins. What does that mean? It means this, that when you are in Christ, what Jesus has done is he has paid the price to remove the punishment of sin so that you, your sins can be forgiven and you can now sit under blessing instead of sit under the punishment of your sins. Then it says that you were sealed with him. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. This is a picture. And that day, a king would wear a ring. And the way you knew what was the king's is he would put his stamp, his seal on something. Maybe he'd send a scroll and he'd put his seal on the scroll. So you knew it came from the king. It was his. And it says this that you've been given the spirit and you've been sealed in him. In other words, he says, she's mine. He's mine. He claims you. He, he, he says, he, that's my girl. That's my boy. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then finally, guaranteeing our inheritance. Let me put it this way. Your identity is not rooted in your past, but it's rooted in your future and the inheritance you have with Christ. This is just a sample of the blessings that we have in Christ. This is just what Paul, what kind of springs out of Paul's heart as he starts with what it means to be in Christ. It's interesting in Matthew 16 and 17, I'm sorry, Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17, um, before Jesus ever does a miracle, Before Jesus ever preaches his first sermon, he gets baptized. And when he gets baptized, something supernatural happens. The heavens open and a voice comes from heaven and says this. He comes out of the water and a voice says this. This is my son whom I love and in him I am well pleased. Okay, get this. Jesus' identity is proclaimed over him before he does anything. This is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. In other words, Jesus, his identity didn't come from earth. It came from heaven. And his, his identity wasn't achieved through his ministry. It was received from his father. And because we are now in Christ, in union with him, what is true of Christ is true of us. And now that blessing that was spoken over Christ is now spoken over us because we are in Christ. That is our identity. And the implications of that are endless. Um, what I would like to do is just talk briefly about how culture cultivates an identity, and then talk about the implications of this in our own lives, okay? So how does culture cultivate an identity? Well, I th- there are many approaches that our culture takes, but one is um, through performance. That it may- maybe you could sum it up this way, I am what I do. That you're Your identity flows from your performance. And if you want a pressure-packed way to live, this is a great pressure-packed way to live, is to cultivate your identity based on your performance. In other words, your acceptance, your value, your significance is wrapped up in how well you perform. 
And deep under, under the surface of that is this sense of, of shame, a, a sense of insecurity that somehow if I'll just do good enough, if I'll make good enough grades, if I'll, get in, if, if I'll achieve enough, then I'll be lovable. And here's what happens. People who find their identity and their performance are people who will put work ahead of everything else. They'll put work ahead of family. They'll put work ahead of friends. They'll put work ahead of their faith. Why? Because everything is on the line at their work because their work has a power to tell them if they're valued or not, if they're significant or not, if they're secure or not. Everything is on the line. It may look like this. As a student, it it could be your next semester can tell you if you're going to be a success or a failure. Your next test, your next paper has a power over you to tell you if you're valued or not, if you're acceptable or not, because your identity is in your work. Has anybody ever been there? I've been there and it is a tyranny over us because it's like everything's on the line every time we, we, we sit to write a paper or, or take a test. I love in Luke 10, Jesus has just sent his disciples out on a short-term mission trip and they come back and they are jazzed because they have some stories to tell. They're like telling stories about things that happened when they were out. And, you know, one, you know, Peter's like, man, you should have seen it. John laid hands on that guy and demons came out of the man. They're talking about how they had authority over the demons and stuff. And, and I love what Jesus is doing. I kind of picture like a locker room scene, you know? And, and Jesus is like, you're right. This is what he says. He said, you're right. I saw Satan fall from heaven like a lightning bolt. They're like, that's right, he did, you know? And they're celebrating. But then Jesus says this. He says, but don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that your name is written down in the book of life. You're kind of like, Jesus, let them celebrate a little bit. Why did Jesus do that? Because he knew this, that next time they go out, they may not be quite as successful, so they can't have their identity and their success. Because if they do, next time they go out and they get rejected, they'll be devastated. So he's centering them saying, do not have your identity in your performance. Have your identity in who you are in relationship with me. Well, what about when your identity is in your religious performance, in your walk with God, in your righteousness, and subtly your identity is more in your goodness and in your righteousness and in your performance any given day rather than in the righteousness of Christ. Then what happens when you recognize your, your glaring sinfulness? Then what? The point is, is our identity is in Christ, not in our performance. You are not what you do. Another way our, our culture seeks to cultivate an identity is in our possessions. I am what I have. And so, I mean, there's many ways this plays out. It could be what we wear, the name brands. Well, we don't want to say too much. We'll just have a little logo here. You know, just that'll say enough, you know. And well, we want to, you know, we'll be subtle about it. Or, or, or it may be what we drive. It may be the gadgets that we have. It may be ultimately what, um, where our apartment is and those type of things. And the Bible would say, no, no, no. There's something, there's a core truth about you that goes way deeper than what you have. Or maybe it's in your passions. I am what I want. 
Our culture will say that can be your identity. And I mean, we just came off of an election cycle. And for many people, in fact, I heard the term yesterday, political identity. Are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? Because we need to know and we will define you based on your political persuasion. And it starts to become a core truth about people in our culture. Or it could be our sexual desires. Who do we desire? And while our sexual desires are very real and a powerful experience, is our sexuality the deepest, most fundamental core truth that defines us? Or it could be your identities in people and popularity. And, and this would say, I am what people think of me. And we live our lives trying to get people to think of us in certain ways. And so we curate our social media in, cert- in, in, in certain ways so we can be perceived in certain ways and, and be, respected, uh, be respected by certain people and be, um, yeah, be, be looked at in a certain way. I am what people think of me. And let me tell you, if your identity is in what people think of you, you've just given the crowd the power to tell you your worth and your value and your significance and how secure you are. And not only that, you've also turned all of your relationships into a competition. Because now, even your friends you're competitive against. Because you want to be the best friend. You want to get the most likes. You want to get the most thumbs up. You want to get the most interaction on social media. You want to have the most. And and, and all of a sudden, the crowd has power over us. And our life becomes based on competition. And, And what we see in Ephesians is this. No, no, no. Your identity is in Christ. It's not in any of those things. This is just a sample. The list could go on and on and on and on. But the fact is, we when we have our identity in Christ, our identity is received not achieved. It comes from heaven, not from earth. This is so important. Let me tell you times when I need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of this when I feel a pressure to perform. That I need to be reminded about what is on the line and what is not on the line. And what is not on the line is not my identity. My identity is not on the line. My value is not on the line. My significance is not on the line. My security is not on the line. My acceptance is not on the line. No. That's not on the line. It's already established. I'm in Christ. I also need to be reminded of my identity in Christ whenever I sin. I need to be reminded of the fact that I'll be met with grace and that I am declared holy in Christ, that, I, that my identity is not rooted in my greatest weakness. It's not rooted in my greatest failure, but my identity is rooted in Christ. I also need to be reminded of my identity when I walk in obedience, that my identity is not in my performance. I need to be reminded of my identity when I fear rejection. Have you ever gone into a social situation not sure how they're going to receive you? I, I mean, I, I watch people walk in, and here's what I pray. In fact, I had this moment last week. I, I was watching somebody walk into a social situation. I said, Lord, root them in their identity in Christ so they don't go there ho- hoping that the crowd will receive them. They'll be respected enough and, and somehow esteemed enough and deemed worthy. No, they're worthy in you. You're the one who made them. They, their identity's in you. Root them in their identity. And the list 
could go on and on. I need to be reminded of my identity when I feel insignificant. I need to be reminded that even when no one is watching, there is a purpose, and the purpose is mentioned three times, that I live for the praise of his glory, that my life is about his glory. No matter who's watching, no matter who thinks it's significant, there's always something significant, and that is to live for his glory. Here's what I know. Right after Jesus was baptized and his identity spoken over him. You know what the very next thing that happens is? He goes into the desert, into the wilderness, and he is tempted. And you know what he's tempted with? If you're really the son of God, then dot, dot, dot. There was a battle over his identity. Why do I bring that up? Because there will be a battle over your identity. Are you really in Christ? Does Christ really define you? Is that the core truth of your life? Or is it your performance? Or is it your possessions? Or is it your passions? Or is it your popularity and your prestige? Or your past? Or your pain? Or is it Christ? As I close... As I was writing this message, I was reminded of students who this truth transformed their lives. I remember I was in Wilsdorf Cafe, Argo Tea. And I was meeting with a young lady who has only been following Jesus a short time. And she had just broken up with her boyfriend. She was devastated. And while we were talking... Um, we, I began to talk to her about how her identity is not in her relational status, but her identity is found in Christ. And I recommended a book. I recommend this book called Who I Am in Christ. It's a 30-day devotional on this topic. I recommended this book, and we met up as she read the book twice. And it was amazing to see as she saturated having her identity in Christ, how it totally transformed her life. This one truth transformed her life of who she is in Christ. I remember sitting in the PAV years ago with a guy who was in ROTC. End of his first year, and it was a very difficult year. And as we sat there, he broke down because he faced failure after failure during his time at UVA. And he broke down, and I, I mean, I could walk you to where we were sitting And I began to speak to him, your identity is not in your performance. Your identity is in Christ. And I actually had him read this same book. And he would tell you to this day that that was a turning point in his life because he realized that his identity wasn't in all these externalities that the culture was trying to say that would define him. But he was defined by his union with Christ. And what was true of Christ was true of him. I remember a young lady that confessed a lot of deep, dark sin in her past to us. And I watched the lights come on whenever she started to understand 
who she was in Christ, that she was righteous in Christ, that she was enough in Christ, that she was adopted and loved and accepted and secure in Christ. And it was a transforming reality in her life. I have watched this truth transform people time after time after time. And can I tell you, I remind myself of this truth regularly. So as we close... As we start this semester, where is your identity? Which one of those P's are you tempted to find your identity in? Your performance? Because if so, this semester is going to be a tyranny over you. And it won't stop once you graduate. It'll just then be transferred to your job and transferred to something else and to something else. Possessions, passions, popularity, and I—I I mean, I, the list could go on and on. What is the most fundamental core truth of your life? I'm here to say that if you are in Christ, that is the core truth of your life, and it changes everything. And if you are not a follower of Jesus and you're tired of trying to cultivate your own identity and try to earn your own identity and achieve your own identity, then I have good news for you. There's an identity that waits for you that is ready to be pronounced over you from heaven that you can receive and you don't have to achieve. And in that identity is adoption and love and grace and inheritance. And that can be yours tonight. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, as we close tonight with a song, I pray that as we sing this truth, it would go down into our souls. And I pray, oh God, that you would root this in our hearts, that this semester and going forward, we would know that the core truth of our lives is that we are in Christ. And as Paul declares, it changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen. This is good news. You live from love, not for love. You live from acceptance, not for acceptance. You live from significance, not for significance. You are a child of God in Christ. And that changes everything. So I, this week as you go around here, and you may picture yourself going around in the in Christ bubble like Blair. So as you go to class, you're in Christ. As you go to the dining hall, you're in Christ. As you log on to Zoom, you're in Christ. Wherever you go, you are in Christ. And what is true of Christ is true of you because of your union with him. Isn't that good news? for the benediction. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace as you live in Christ. 
In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, God bless you. Have a wonderful week following Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com. 